Welcome to the ministry of Berean Bible Church in Louisville, Ohio, pastored by Ted Fellows and committed to preaching and teaching God's Word from a dispensational perspective. Most of the messages you will hear are recorded from our local church services. You can find out more about our ministry at www.bereansoflouisville.org. Thank you for listening. Our national life in our city and our, 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 our culture and nation are going through a, a tremendous shift and change. It really has been happening. Um, it's not just recently. It's just been on overdrive the last year or so. We've watched so many things happen. Uh, but, the, but the decline nationally in our nation has been, you know, um, ongoing for a long, long time. And so we've been looking at the, the foundations of national life. And uh, uh, then we went through looking at some of the issues of, the, of our day through that lens and through that foundation, not from a secular, not from a political, not from a conservative or liberal or left or right, but a biblical filter, biblical perception, because you really want to you really want to communicate not just about the things going on from a secular viewpoint, because you can make good arguments, you can make good logical arguments, but uh, but really the, the the issue is uh, divine viewpoint and pointing people to the Lord and to the Bible and uh, and to His truth. So we looked at the issues today. I want to move on now to the issue for us today. We've, we've kind of looked outward now kind of at the world around us and trying to, you know, through a biblical filter. I want to turn the, turn the lens now towards us. What do we need as members of the body of Christ, as Berean Bible Church, in the midst of nat- national and social and spiritual decline? And um, it co- you, you come naturally to the Pauline epistles and, uh, and Paul's gospel. But I've come to, a, I, I want to look at an issue, the issue of godliness. And uh, we, we're going to use this kind of as a springboard. We'll probably talk about it um, some in the next couple, three weeks. But we want to talk about the issues of the local church. And, um, but the issues of godliness. And here in, uh, in 1 Timothy chapter 2, I'd like to read verses 1 and 2 and have a word of prayer as we begin. Uh, 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 1, I exhort therefore that first of all, supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men, for kings, and for all that are in authority, that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and honesty. Let's pray. Father, thank you this morning for your word and for the saints that have gathered. Um, And we just pray that as we consider these things that um, you'd help us to gain perspective our minds and hearts renewed and, uh, and be equipped to stand as the ambassadors that you've called us to be uh, in this dark world. And we thank you that we can have victory in the Lord Jesus Christ, that uh, while the world goes its way, we can stand, we can have joy, and we can have victory in, the, uh, in our Christian life as we serve you, and we're grateful for that. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Um, the issue today of godliness the six foundations, we, I just want to put those up once again to remind you that America had these foundations, had these foundations in its founding. It had, the, um, it had a degree of the, the grace given to Paul. Today in the Gentile world, the issue is not Israel's program. The issue is Paul's gospel, the apostle of the Gentiles, not, uh, not Israel's program or a hybrid version of it, um, trying to adapt it and fit it into uh, to the Gentile world today. When the United States was founded, it, uh, it was founded, uh, it, there was exploration 
through the through the through the 1500s, you know, Columbus sailed the ocean blue in 1492. In the 1500s and 1600s, there was exploration. There were people that came and colonized and so on, and uh, and uh, we, we became began to become populated. And then through the 1700s, that continued, and and uh, there was a national birth that took place in 1776, where we declared our independence and really established uh, the, 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 the nation, the United States of America. Um, those people that came, came in the 15s and 1600s during the time of the Protestant Reformation over in Europe, a time of great revival of Pauline truth and uh, coming out from the darkness of, of Rome and the, and the, the oppression of, uh, of that type and that form of government over, over there in, in, in Europe. And in the 1600s, they came with an English translation of the Bible that was going to revolutionize the world. And it, it was already being spread and populated uh, through, the, 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 through the national life of Great Britain and Europe. But with the growth of the United States and the, and the foundation, missionaries came, uh, came from the United States all over the world. There was a great revival, uh, largely with Pauline truth at its base. A clear understanding of, of, of justification by grace through faith, and the uh, and, the, and the issue of the 18, late 1800s and 1900s with with uh, uh, dispensational Bible study and revival there. So our country has had that foundation. Um, the, the 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 institutions that are established in the book of Genesis that are reaffirmed in the book of Romans and Paul's epistles of creation, volition and personal responsibility and marriage in the home and the home and family and a strong national identity and with Israel being the model nation in the scripture. We had all those things. And then we've looked at some of the issues of, of, the, uh, of the day based on those foundations, not based on a political ideology, but biblical truth. And um, so we come here, now what's, what's, where do we find ourselves, where do we go now? And here in 1 Timothy, Paul emphasizes the issue of prayer, uh, praying for all men, um, for kings and for all that are in authority, that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and honesty. Here the, the, the passage is the prayer of a believer, and it's the prayer for the prayer to live his life the way the Lord would have him to live so that then he can be his representative to all men. God has a heart for the world. Um, he desires all to be saved and come into the knowledge of the truth there. So the issue of, of prayers and intercessions and giving of thanks be made for all men to maintain our attitude. He says in verse 8 that we would pray everywhere without wrath and doubting. God doesn't want anger and frustration. Um, um, as, as he talks about the relation of government, the, the middle of the verse there, verse 2, that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life. There's your daily life. There's the daily grind. Going about your business, doing the things that, that, that you have to do. We read the passage over in 1 Thessalonians 4. about he, he, he tells the Thessalonians, in the midst of their persecution, in the midst of their suffering, that they would walk and and with a with a with a I can't I'm going to misquote the verse just back up First Thessalonians chapter four, verse eleven, he says that you study to be quiet, to do your own business, to work with your own hands as we commanded you that you may walk honestly toward I love that word toward, 
toward them that are without. We are to engage individuals, but we don't engage them on the basis of politics or, or social justice or, or political ideology. We walk toward them as ambassadors for Christ. And our life is to be a quiet and peaceable life, orderly, going about your own business, providing for yourself that you have lack of nothing, that you can carry on your ministry, your purpose, your function, that you, that you walk toward them without and that you may have lack of nothing. He said there's that issue of quietness and that issue of honesty. Same thing that we have over here in, in 1 Timothy chapter 2. A quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and honesty. A life that's free of turmoil and chaos and being and, and unsettled debate and argument um, but just going about your business so that you can represent the Lord Jesus Christ in the world he, he says there's, there's that quiet and peaceable life but notice the phrase in all godliness godliness is not a good moral life sometimes we take these terms and we roll them all together as though they all mean the same thing. We should live a godly life. And we think, okay, our life should be characterized by godliness. And we, we just kind of think it's, well, it's a good moral life and keep our, our house in order and represent the Lord and so on. Godliness is something very specific here. Godliness has the idea of the inner spiritual life out of which your life flows. Godliness, the, the root word is the, it has the idea of worship. The, the word Eusebia means to worship or devotion. How are we to be devoted to God today? That's what godliness is. Look at the other side of the coin. Go over to go back to Romans. Go back to Romans chapter chapter one. We've been we've been starting our, our, our studies here. Notice the flip side. Notice the negative side of what godliness is. If godliness is the positive, what would the negative be? Ungodliness. What is ungodliness? Ungodliness is not just evil, moral behavior. You know, we talk about the ungodly. There's a, there's a dimension to it. He says, verse 18, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness, there's the negative, and unrighteousness of men. There's the behavior. The unrighteousness is the evil behavior, and it's the result... Of, of, of things that you do, but that, that godliness and unrighteousness are not the same thing. Um, verse, and we said this last time, verse 29, 30 and 31, talks about the results of the Gentile world rejecting God. He says, being filled with all unrighteousness. There's the evil behavior. There's the evil manifestation. But where does it come from? It comes from ungodliness. And the root cause of the ungodliness here in, in Romans chapter 1 verse 18 is that, they, is that men hold the truth in unrighteousness. What's the truth that they hold? They hold the truth of the knowledge of their creator. Um, verse 8, 19, 20, and 21, God's revealed himself. He can be known. He can be understood by the things that are made. He's revealed in creation. But men hold that truth and they deny that truth. They hold the truth in unrighteousness. They know it, but they don't. They, they, they reject it, and they change the truth of how to relate to the God and the Creator. Um, 
they, they, they didn't know God in verse 21. Uh, there's the pride in verse 22. And they changed the glory of the uncorruptible God. There's idolatry. Instead of worshiping the creator, they worship and serve the creation. And it deteriorates into idolatry. Verse 25, who changed the truth of God into a lie. They pervert the truth. They know the truth, but they depart from it, and there is a rejection of God. Ungodliness is being improperly related to God. Godliness, the word is the idea of devotion or devout, being, being, having reverence or piety or holiness. So how do we relate to God? How do we worship? How do we live our life in godliness? One more thing, I'll show you how these are not the same. Go back to the book of Psalms, chapter 1, verse 1, just very quickly for an illustration. Psalm chapter number 1. Notice how godliness and unrighteousness uh, or evil are not the same. Psalms chapter 1. Here's the negative once again. Uh, Psalm chapter 1, verse 1. Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel, the counsel, that is the, the viewpoint and the attitude and the, the, the wisdom of the ungodly, comma, nor standeth in the way of sinners. See, there's the behavior. There's the evil behavior. Sinners and ungodly are not the same thing. Godly and righteousness is not the same thing. Godliness is the proper relationship to God out of which we live quiet and peaceable life. Paul says, I don't want you just to be good citizens and go about your business and do what's there, You know, there are, there are people that do that. There is a struggle in our country and in our culture between the, 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 the institutions and the founding and some basic principles that we've always endured, and then there's the, the movement away from all of those things. There are unsaved people living a quiet and peaceable life, but they're not doing it in godliness. See, when it comes to the God's word, the, the issue really is the source that produces it. Your flesh can produce human goodness. Religion can produce human goodness. But God wants the goodness to come from His life. Not the energy of the flesh or human good, but divine viewpoint and divine truth. So, so this, this issue of godliness, they hold the truth, they change the truth, they, 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 they pervert the truth and twist the truth, and it winds up being false worship. The issue in Romans 1 with the Gentiles is idolatry, and, and they're evil. Go, go back to Romans chapter, chapter 1. Look at Romans chapter 2. The issue of being related to God is, is first and foremost, the issue of worshiping him in truth. Um, look at the Jew here. Um, we've learned about the Gentile. Romans chapter 2, verse 17. Behold, thou art called a Jew, and resteth in the law, and makest thy boast of God, and knowest his will, and approvest the things that are more excellent, being instructed out of the law. What's godliness for a Jew? It's being instructed. It's having God's viewpoint according to the written word of God, the law that was committed to them. Um, Verse 20, an instructor, you think you're an instructor of the foolish, a teacher of babes, which has the form and knowledge of the truth 
of the law. How was Israel to relate to God? They were to relate to God according to truth. Worship today and devotion to God is based in truth. Godliness is based in the truth of God's word. And, and um, a couple of examples of that. Um, look, at, look at Israel. Go to, go to Luke chapter number 2. The issue of being devout and being godly and worshiping is not just zeal. You know, the nation of Israel, they had God, they had the word of God, but what does Paul say? They had a zeal of God, but not according to knowledge. God is not pleased with ignorant worship. He doesn't want mindless devotion and human zeal that, that, that is man-centered. He wants worship to be him-centered and truth-centered, guided and directed. Here's Luke chapter number 2, around the birth of the Lord Jesus. Um, they're there in, in, in Jerusalem, and they present the Lord and have him circumcised. Verse 25, and behold, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. The same man was just and devout. He was, he was devoted to God. What was his devotion? How was it expressed? Waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Ghost was upon him. He was not just caught up in the machinery. He knew Israel had some consolation that was going to be manifest in the Messiah. It wasn't just the outward, outward mechanics of activity. He knew the consolation of Israel was the Messiah. And it was revealed to him, verse 26, by the Holy Ghost, that he should not see death until, um, before he had seen the Lord's Christ. Well, he'd seen Messiah. See, the, for Israel, there was the Old Testament law that, that the Jews had, but that wasn't sufficient. They, their worship, their devotion was going to be centered in new truth of the Messiah. And the Messiah, the Lord Jesus Christ, shows up there. Go to, uh, go to John chapter 4. Here's a, here's a familiar passage. John chapter 4. Godliness in Israel was a specific thing, and worship in Israel was a specific thing. Here's the Lord and the woman at the well, the Samaritan woman. Um, the Lord has, is journeying back and forth. And uh, he has to go through Samaria, and we have this encounter. And, of course, we know that he, that he understands that um, she's been married five times. Um, verse 19, let's pick up the narrative. The woman saith unto him, Sir, I perceive that thou art a prophet. Now, this guy, there's something different about this guy. He, know, he knows everything that I ever did, um, she says later. Here's, so, so here's the lady talking to the Lord, and she's a Samaritan. Now, the Samaritans were the ten northern tribes that broke away from Israel in the Old Testament. See, Israel was a divided nation in the Old Testament after the, the pinnacle of Solomon, and the nation of Israel split, and there was the ten northern tribes, and then there was the two southern tribes that remained loyal down in Jerusalem. So here's a Samaritan woman, verse 20, Our fathers worshipped in this mountain, the mountain of Samaria. They had a worship. It was, they, they, set up the, they set up the worship up there in the north, and Jeroboam was smart. Now to read the Old Testament, first, back in 1 Kings, 1 and 2 Kings there, Jeroboam says, he's, he says, if, I, if I, I, I'm going to set up something like the feast that's in Judah. 
I got to have something that looks kind of similar, or everybody in my kingdom is going to go down to Jerusalem. And so there's, he set up worship up there in, in Samaria. Verse 20, our fathers worshiped in this mountain, and ye say, here's the Lord Jesus and the Jews, ye say that in Jerusalem is the place where men ought to worship. So here's the discussion about worship and devotion and piety and reverence. The Lord says in verse 20, Jesus saith unto her, verse 21, Woman, believe me, the hour cometh when ye shall neither in this mountain nor in Jerusalem worship the Father. He's saying, you really, you, you really ought to know what's coming. <laughs> there's some tough times coming, and there's going to be, there's going to be things happening, and you're not going to worship either place. You're going to be running for your life. Verse uh, 22, but here the Lord gets back to the present. Ye worship ye know not what ye know, we know what we worship for salvation is of the Jews and the Lord just basically says lady you don't know what you're doing you're worshiping but you're worshiping in ignorance you don't know what you're worshiping we say and we know what we worship for salvation is of the Jews the true worship is not up there in Samaria and you guys can be all zealous and you guys got more people up there than we got down here you're ten nations up there you're a bigger church than we are down here but Jerusalem is where the truth is God put his name in Jerusalem and the throne of David was in, was, was in Jerusalem and that's where his name was he says for salvation is of the Jews verse 23 but the hour cometh and now is when the true worshipers shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father seeketh such to worship him. The Lord doesn't want just zeal and enthusiasm. He wants you know, spirit. He wants mental. He wants you thinking about what's happening. And he wants worship in truth. See, there's, a, there's final authority. There's an absolute. It's not, well, your church believed this and my church believed that and, uh, you know, you pick the church of your choice. God is absolute with truth. And so he says, uh, verse 24, the, God is a spirit. And they, the, see, we connect with God on a spiritual level, not an emotional level. It doesn't say God is a soul and they that worship him must worship him in, in, in soul and in truth, the emotions, your feelings, he says he's a spirit, and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. God does not want mindless worship. He does not want just enthusiasm. He doesn't want zeal because he wants truth. He wants truth that exalts and, and acknowledges him for what he is and what he said and, and what he's doing. And if, you, if you're not doing what God's doing, you're adding something that God is not doing. And it's not honoring him. The woman saith unto him, I know that Messiah cometh, which is called Christ. When he is come, he will tell us all things. Well, we know we're looking for the Messiah. The Messiah will straighten us out. The Lord says, hey, <laughs> verse 26, Jesus saith unto her, I that speak unto thee am he. You know what he says later on in the Gospel of John? He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. 
No man cometh unto the Father but by me. See, the way is narrow. The way is narrow. It's the truth. And I'm the truth. See, there's a, there's a, there's a worship in Israel that it's not just the form. The form had been corrupted. And the Lord Jesus Christ comes on the scene and he is the new manifestation of it. Um, there's, uh, there, there's a number of things. Um, You've got to come to God in God's way. You know, the, um, Mark chapter 7 and Matthew 15, the woman of Samaria, the woman of Canaan, actually, I think it's a different situation. Maybe it's the same one. Um, she wanted to come and she wanted the blessing. And the Lord says, you've got to get underneath the table if you want to have blessing. Uh, let the children first be filled. There's a specific way to, to worship. Come to the book of, of, uh, of Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2. With Israel, worship was, in a, was a specific way. Um, Acts chapter 2, verse number 40. The day of Pentecost and all these wonderful things that happened. Verse 40. And with many other words did he testify and exhort, saying, Save yourselves from this untoward generation. You know who that untoward generation is? That's corrupt worship. That's the scribes and the Pharisees that had taken the house of God and turned it into a house of merchandise. And they'd corrupted it. And they'd added tradition. And the Lord says, you make the word of God of none effect through your tradition. That's that corrupt generation. God was taking worship in Israel and authority and spiritual authority in Israel and he took it from the religious leaders. And he gave it to the little flock. He gave it to the twelve apostles. Verse 41, And they that gladly received his word were baptized the same day, and there were added unto them about 3,000 souls, and they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and breaking bread and in prayers. Their worship was in a specific place. It wasn't in the corruption of Israel. It was in the truth, in the little flock, in the real spiritual life. Acts chapter 10. We could go on and on. Here's an example of a Gentile. Cornelius, Acts chapter 10, verse 1. There was a certain man in Caesarea called Cornelius, a centurion of the band called the Italian band. Now that's not a musical band. <laughs> that's a, he, was a, he was a military leader over a hundred soldiers, over a squadron of a hundred. He was a Gentile. He was a Gentile, but look at verse 2. A devout man and one that feared God with all his house, which gave alms to the people and prayed to God always. He wasn't just generous. He knew that his responsibility as a Gentile was to bless Israel. He was, he was as a Gentile, he recognized his status, and he was devoted to God in the proper way. He was a proselyte. He was uncircumcised Gentile, but he knew where spiritual life was. My point is, he was coming to God in the, proper, in the appropriate way. A devout man, and one that feared God with all his house. Even his soldiers, up in verse 7, were, were devout. He, this man was a great influence. But they recognized Israel were the, the people of God, and he gave alms to them. My point is, worship and devotion is specific in the Bible. And so when Paul talks about us today in the age of grace, go back to 1 Timothy chapter number 2. Godliness for the body of Christ. Godliness for the Gentiles today. Worship and devotion to God is a specific 
way. And as we're devoted and relate to God, then our life flows out of that. He says, we're to pray for kings and for all that are in authority that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life that is working and do your own business and providing for yourself so you can walk toward others so that you can, you can relate to your world in a way that God would be pleased with. And godliness, he says, a, a, a quiet and peaceable life. Quiet is free from commotion and turmoil and unrest. And peaceable is your life is lived not in conflict and fighting and quarreling within yourself or, or, or with wrath towards others. And the way you do that is in godliness. You have your properly devoted and relate to God. How does that happen today? He's he, a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and honesty. He says, this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who will have all men to be saved and to come under the knowledge of the truth. We pray for all men. We give thanks to all men. We live quiet and peaceable toward all men because God, we have a ministry to all men. What's that ministry? God would have all men to be saved. The two great things that we're to be involved in in our life is the salvation of lost souls and souls getting saved and coming to the knowledge of God's truth. The truth of God for Israel? Well, that's part of it because it's God's word. We rightly divide the word of truth. It's all truth, is it not? It's all given by inspiration. But there is a special truth that we're to have today. God would have all men to be saved and come into the knowledge of... There's the gospel. The gospel of salvation. Why? Verse 5, for there's one mediator. There's one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself a ransom for all. There's the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. But notice it, to be testified in due time. There's some information about Jesus Christ that is made known in due time that in previous ages was not made known, was kept secret. Foretold he was going to come, he was going to die, but now his death is good news. His death wasn't good news in Acts chapter 2. Israel was guilty of a crime, and Peter points a finger and says, you did it. Our gospel message now for people to get saved is good news. We talk to people about the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ because it's good news for them. Because he was a savior. And he didn't just come to save his people. He gave his life a ransom for all. And now I'm testifying that to all men. We have an every man savior and an every man apostle. <laughs> a wonderful message today. Gave himself a ransom for all to be testified in due time. It wasn't testified beforehand, before Paul. The Lord said in the upper room with the disciples, he says, the Son of Man came and give, to give himself a, his life a ransom for many because he was a restricted Savior to Israel to save his people and those that would come and get underneath his table. All men eventually, but all men through a real narrow channel. Today that channel has been opened up. There is no intermediator <laughs> nation or people. We can come directly to Jesus Christ by personal faith in him. The gospel, that old rugged cross. What a great message. The Apostle Paul is a due time testifier of, of the, the full 
payment for the Lord Jesus Christ. He's an every man savior. We have an every man apostle. We have an every man ministry. So guess what? We should pray for every man. <laughs> so that we can go toward them with a message that God desires them to know. They want them to, to get saved. And to come to the knowledge of the truth. Verse 5 and 6 is how people are saved today. People are saved today through the due time testimony of the due time apostle and his due time gospel. All men to be saved, verse 7, whereunto I am ordained a preacher and an apostle, I speak the truth in Christ and lie not a teacher of the Gentiles in faith and verity. Why is he a teacher? So people can come to the knowledge of the truth. The truth that he speaks. The gospel message and the truth of the edification and the building up of the, in the faith and the truth of all God's word. The apostle Paul gives us a lens to view the entire word of God. And the entire word of God can be profitable to us now. Because we rightly divide it. Because we know the, the, how to relate to God today. Notice he says, I speak the truth. Paul was a due time testifier of the truth. <laughs> he says, a teacher of the Gentiles in faith and verity. You know that word verity? That word verity is truth. <laughs> the, Paul says, I'm a teacher of the truth in truth. <laughs> that, that verity, that word verity is the same word we see truth over there in the Gospels in the book of John. You know where we just were? They that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. That's the word verity. Paul says, I teach the truth in truth. There's a truth that God wants the Gentiles to know today. And it comes through him. And you know what that is? That's the godliness to be devoted to God today. To worship him is to worship him in truth of a program that he has revealed today. And out of that program, out of that truth, we live our lives. But that truth has to be taught. It has to be built up and communicated, not, not worship in ignorance, but in truth there. There's a specific truth. There's a specific filter, a way to teach today to be devoted to God. Go, go over to 1 Timothy chapter 6. 1 Timothy chapter 6, he says in verse 3, If any man teach otherwise and consent not to wholesome words, even the words of our Lord Jesus Christ, now that's not the words of him when he's on earth, that's the words, he says, and to the doctrine which is according to godliness. He, he says he's proud and knowing nothing. If he doesn't teach the words of the Lord Jesus and the doctrine that is according to godliness. He's proud, knowing nothing. Ooh, that's tough. That's harsh language. He doesn't know what he's doing if he's not teaching the words of the Lord Jesus Christ and the doctrine that is according to godliness. You know what doctrine is? It's called sound doctrine. He says in 1 Timothy, it's no other doctrine. That's what sound doctrine is. He doesn't know what he's doing. Whereof cometh envy and strife and railings and evil surmising, perverse disputings of men of corrupt minds and destitute of the truth. Supposing that gain is 
godliness. Gain is godliness. The numbers are up. The offerings are up. The, the, the attendance is up. We must be, that, that's godliness. No, gain is not godliness. Prosperity and growth is not godliness. The truth is what the godly, godliness, he says, from such withdraw thyself. Godliness is that inner spiritual life that the truth produces out of which our life flows. He says, but godliness with contentment is great gain. Godliness is what produces contentment. Godliness, the truth of God's word, built up, gives you peace, gives you stability, and enables you to be content and live a quiet and peaceable life. Um, there's also, go to 2 Timothy, 2 Timothy chapter 3, Paul talking about the, the, the latter times. He says, talks about the evil days and the evil men. Verse 5, having a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof. You say, what is a form of godliness? A form of godliness is anything that looks like worship, but it has no power behind it. It's just a shell. It appears, but there's no substance behind it. Fill in the blank, beloved. But the issue is, uh, from such with turn away, um, he says, verse 7, ever learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. There is a specific truth that is to be, they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. And it's the truth of God's word rightly divided and the truth of sound doctrine today that produces spiritual life that enables us to live quiet and peaceable lives. Go back and, and we'll, we'll, we'll finish up here. Go to 1 Timothy chapter 3. There is another foundation that we need to stand on. We've looked at the six foundations that, uh, that, are, that are laid out for us. Paul's gospel, he lays the foundation and the foundational issues of, of, of Gentile national life. There's another foundation. 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 14 through 16, and we're just going to quit here and we'll pick up next week. He says, These things write unto thee, write I unto thee, hoping to come unto thee shortly. But if I tarry long, that thou mayest know how thou oughtest to behave thyself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and ground, there's a foundation of what? The truth. The house of God there is not a building. It's not brick and mortar. Where does God dwell? The, house of, the term the house of God was the temple in the Old Testament where God dwelt and manifested himself. You want to find me? I put my name there. I put my glory there. There's where I am. And that glory was manifest in that temple or in that tabernacle. That was, and it, it, the building became the house, the temple of the living God there. Where's the house of God today? The house of God is the believer. He's dwelling in a different place today. The house that Timothy would know how to behave thyself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and the ground of the truth. He's talking about the local church. And the local church is to be the pillar that is holding up the truth and the ground is where the truth stands and rests and it's held up and it's seen and it's made known. 
the pillar and the ground of the truth. Another foundation, and Paul's design for the truth to function in our lives is in the context of a local congregation of believers. There's an asset there and a sense of community and a sense of life together in a local group of believers banded together where they learn the truth and they live the truth and they teach the truth to each other. Speaking the truth in love may grow up unto him. Those things happen in a local congregation. So the issue of the local church is vital for believers. He says in verse 16, And without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. See, the godliness, godliness was no mystery. Worship and devotion, we've looked at verses about being related to God. There is a mystery form of godliness that was previously kept secret, but is now made known. What is that? He says, God was manifest in the flesh. This verse here, verse 16, does not fit the earthly life and ministry of Jesus Christ. This is a reference to believers here. The passage doesn't fit God manifest in the flesh. They think that's the incarnation. And then they say received up into glory. That's his ascension. But the stuff in between doesn't work, beloved. <laughs> and by the way, those things were no mystery. Jesus Christ coming in the flesh. Isaiah chapter 50, uh, chapter 7, Emmanuel, God with us. No, the mystery of godliness is that God takes his life and put it in some Gentiles where he was going to dwell and manifest himself to the world around us. You know what our life, what, what the issue is in our life of belie as believers? It's not I being manifest, but it's Christ being seen in us. How is Christ seen in us? By his truth living out as we go about our business, as we go about our life. Real godliness is not externalism. It's not gain. It's not, it's, it's not the outward form looking like some real godliness has some power associated with it has some real spiritual life and it's the life of Jesus Christ that is formed and grows in the life of a believer listen when you got saved God did something marvelous to you he put his life inside of you and me he didn't just give us the ticket to heaven he did that but he gave us his life to us put his life in us and the Spirit of God is in us, and God the Father is in us through His Son. And now that life grows and, and is to, to mature and then manifest itself out in the world. And that's the mystery, is the Christ in you, Christ in a bunch of Gentiles. Really? I understand God putting His life in Israel and His nation, but He put that program on hold. Now God puts His life in the dogs, <laughs> in the aliens, and in the strangers. And he does it as a free gift. And not only does he put his life in them, but he blesses them with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places. There is a mystery 
of godliness, there is some mystery truth that God desires us to know and understand and grow, and it produces real spiritual life and power. And we manifest and we share that life together in a local congregation. You know that your life, your body is the temple of the living God. You go away from here. You carry the very life of the Lord Jesus Christ with you wherever you go. And so therefore glorify God in your spirit and in your body, which are God's. But you know what else God says? God tells the Corinthians, ye, you guys together are the temple of the living God. You guys are the body of Christ <laughs> in a local geographic area. And you have a testimony. You hold up the truth and you live the truth and you manifest the truth and you walk towards them that are without. You carry that truth in your life and you live that truth in your life. But that foundation is in the local congregation, beloved. There is, a, there is an asset that we have and a life that we share that uh, we need to make the most of in our fellowship and in our spiritual life. Because in our day, as the world continues to slide and go down and down and down, and there's a generation that's coming behind us that needs to not just know that they're saved, but they need to have the truth of God's word, rightly divided, rooted, and built up. Not just, not just get a hold of the truth, but the truth get a hold of them. And we need to not just get the truth, but have the truth get a hold of us. And have a passion, and have a, have a hunger, and a desire, and growing, and, and, and learning, and strengthening one another in a local congregation and together we make manifest the life of Christ and it's a great privilege and in these dark days it's what we need and it's what our world needs we're not going to rescue the culture but we can rescue individuals in our little circle and sphere of influence can't we and what a, I mean we, we live our you know instead of talking about all the stuff and all the the, 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 the chaos out there Use the chaos to take people to what they really need, to the, to the gospel and some truth that will change their life and get them involved in something that will matter 10,000 years from now. What a, we, there's no greater purpose. But that's done through a specific message, beloved. It's done through a message of God's word and God's grace. Not a hybrid message, but the truth committed to the Apostle Paul and the gospel committed to the Apostle Paul. Amen? And uh, it's a great privilege. Father, thank you for the opportunity to consider these things. And uh, may, we, may we recognize that godliness is not just our activity, but godliness is your truth in us. Like Paul says in Philippians in the verse we read as we began, that, that we might know him. And not just know about him, but know him personally and the power of his resurrection, the resurrection life that's available to us as his life is lived in and through us. And Lord, that happens as your word dwells richly in us and we're filled with the knowledge of the, the truth of the gospel. And that knowledge fills our life and overflows into our, uh, into our, our daily life as we go about our business. And Lord, then we can say it's not I, but it's Christ that's living in and through us. And Lord, we, we pray that we would value and, and cherish 
him, but also value and cherish our life together and really seek to make the most of it. Not just for our benefit, Lord, but for the benefit of those around us and the benefit, benefit of the generation coming behind us. Because um, the, the world is going to look so different as it continues to go down its course. And uh, the only refuge is the truth of your word and the truth that really works today. And Lord, I just thank you for the victory that we have in Christ Jesus. In the gospel of salvation and in your word, rightly divided. What a joy, what a privilege. We thank you. It's in Christ's name we pray.